peace in our human family. Volume of unity. Divine light shining individually. Collectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. As above, so below. Feel the pain in my soul. The red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians start wars, they don't fight. They sit the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses. Watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light. Light warriors. The kids and the culture. Everybody, everybody out there um, out on the podcast world, uh, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, um, Google, uh, Apple. Shout out to everybody on Apple. I see that majority of people around the world listen to me on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you so much. I'm a title guy, so I'm not really into the Apple part, but that's all right. Can I get a sponsorship from title, please? <laughs> uh, I have a special guest, uh, Janaea. I, I, I said your name right. It's Janiyah. Janiyah, I apologize. Janiyah, okay. <laughs> welcome to the um, Jabbar VSC podcast. Uh, VSC thank podcast. Um, thank you so much for rescheduling with me. I've been having some issues, uh, but we're we're back in the in the um, the limelight. Uh, just quick quick shout outs. Uh, everybody, check out uh, Eli Eli. Elias Ali, Jesus, he's gonna kill me for saying his name wrong. Elias Ali, new album's coming out on November 20th, 29th. Um, and this this uh podcast will be out in December, so it's already gonna be out. So check that out. Elias Ali, new album, revolutionary brother, uh working class activist that put all his working class work into hip hop and reggaeton beats and stuff like that. Check them out. All right, Janaya. Hello. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you are a filmmaker, and yes. you also have your own brand. Um, yes. It is pronounced Herrick. You know, let me give yeah. you a chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it called? It's uh, it's Heritagio. So Heritagio. Um, Heritagio. You know, yeah. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, what is Heritagio about? Uh, Eritagio is about cultural awareness and sensitivity. So uh, I'm an immigrant. I, um, mm-hmm. I come from an immigrant family. I'm Haitian American, first generation. And so, that's not to Haiti. Yeah, big shout out. And so um, I started Eritagio with the sense that I wanted to share other people's stories, but I didn't want to do it myself. I wanted to give other people the space and the opportunity to share their story themselves um, the way they mm-hmm. see it. Um, I wanted to really highlight the different individual experiences and how, you know, especially because we're in a time when social media is so important and it's vital to our society. And, you know, we have so many newspaper outlets and TV shows and movies coming out and they're really trying to they're really trying to represent newer stories and other stories that may not necessarily have been represented in the past before, which is amazing. But at the same time, you know, it's still very broad. And it could still be better. There is always room for improvement. So it occurred to me that the easiest way 
to share your story or to get better representation is if we tell other people our stories and we encourage right. other people to share and we encourage each other. So that's what Editaggio is about. It's a, it's a lens and a platform on which anybody can share their story through me. Um, I work with a lot of different people. I have a lot of different content coming up that I'm very, very excited for. And I give them the opportunity to tell their story the way they want to and the way they mm. want to be seen. And um, it's been a very slow start. But um, it's been really fun to just learn. And I've spoken to a lot of different people and I've learned a lot of different things I didn't know before starting Eritaggio. So mm. I am so thankful for the journey thus far. Mm. Now you said the slow start uh, for the audience, for people that are like interested on in trying to do what you do. Um, yeah. What was the, the challenges that in the beginning that you had to go through? Um, really fear. So <laughs> I... <laughs> am a bit of a career perfectionist. You know, I don't do something unless I know for a fact that I can do it and that I can do it well. And right. so, you know, while that skill and that mindset is great, because at the same time, you know, it makes you better adept at achieving things. At the same time, it can also make you not pursue certain opportunities because you feel like, okay, I don't think I'm going to be as successful at this. And I don't think I'm going to succeed at this. So I probably shouldn't do it. And so coming into, coming into my college years as an undergraduate student, I really wanted to just focus on making films that were fictional. I wanted to focus on, you know, I, I'm a big lover of sci-fi. I'm a big lover of, of supernatural stuff. And mm -hmm. I really wanted to make films of those kinds. I really wanted to graduate and maybe work for like the CW or for HBO Max and stuff like that and make those kinds mm -hmm. of stories. And then as I got deeper into university because I did a lot of outreach work where I got to meet a lot of different people. And I've heard a lot of really cool stories and just really got to talk to people. And I'm a talker. <laughs> so it was right up my alley. I realized, you know, maybe, maybe I don't necessarily have to make up stories. Maybe there are just so many cool stories that already exist right here. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people get they have a little bit of pause about sharing your story because, you know, your story is also your identity. It's like about your upbringing. It's about your family. It's about everything. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to work with people is because I knew for a fact I wasn't going to share a story that wasn't going to be true to the person sharing it. I wanted mm. to make sure that people felt comfortable with the way that they're being represented or else what is the point? Right, and so right. eventually it just kind of evolved. And especially during quarantine, I had a really, a really good time to sit and reflect and think about how I wanted to proceed. Because in the beginning, I was just doing an Instagram blog. It was called The Culture Professor. I would look up um, fast facts about different cultures because that was something I was really interested in since high school. And I would post them on Instagram. And I mean, a lot of my friends really liked it. But at the same time, I, it didn't feel authentic to me because it wasn't my culture. I can really only share about the Haitian American experience and not even that I can share about my Haitian American experience, but right, right. go and do research about, you know, the Chinese culture and the Japanese culture. And, you know, it's fun from a learner's perspective, but at the same time, I didn't walk in that. I didn't walk in those paths, you know, so I couldn't really offer or lend a true visceral experience. And so I realized if I'm going to do this, I need to partner with other people and I need to give them basically the microphone and the creative outlet and the creative authorship to be able to actually give an authentic experience and teach somebody something. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's absolutely beautiful and and i want to i want to also highlight just how much uh haitian culture has influenced american culture in music arts um you know not even just uh new orleans and louisiana um like the jazz the jazz scene out there everything there's so much that has been co- contributed to this to the american society that a lot of people just don't know that haiti has done um and the, the, the revolutionaries and everything yeah. um, I, I have educated myself and still am educating myself on on haiti because um, oh, that's wonderful I, Oh, oh yes, yes. I read about Louis Vuitton, uh, De- uh, Jean Jacques Dessalines, all, all, everything I can to learn. Um, you know, because it's just it's so important, and um, my heart goes out to that. What's going on right now, where Haitian immigrants are trying to come to America for a better life, and they deserve to be here. Um, mm-hmm. and just how the, the United States and this government is treating them, and Biden is leading and and deporting the most Haitian people uh, than any other president has done, and you know, it's just it, it it breaks my heart. Um, so I'm so I'm so happy that you are here to just tell your story and not only tell your story, but tell others people's stories. Like it it's absolutely just 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 amazing. Um and how so a lot of people a lot of people that go into film, yeah, I find it interesting that you are able to give a genuine um a, a, a genuine dialogue that lets these people be able to give out their truth within their stories yeah. because you see a lot of different polishing on the media and all that stuff that's not really the case um is it how how did you did you just automatically knew that you that that's the right way or was there like a learning experience that made you understand like oh i should do it this way instead of that way it's a little bit of both so mm. For one thing, um, when I was in school, I took a documentary class in which I actually learned a lot about, because that's what a lot of Eritaju is when on the creative side of it is is documentary, because you interview people and you essentially ask them questions about their lives and their lifestyle. So I learned a lot about specifically making documentaries about other people and you know the the delicacy with which you have to go forward with that kind of story because these people are trusting you to tell their story and to tell it truthfully. And there have been instances throughout the filmmaking process and throughout filmmaking history where, you know, that's kind of been muddled and even just stomped on by filmmakers Mm. because, you know, it's not just about the story. It's also now about profitability and that's a huge factor. Um, but it also was a learning experience for me personally, because like I said, when I started the Instagram blog, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the hugest following, but at the same time, I also would talk to people and I would realize that a lot of the facts that I was getting off the internet were facts that anybody could get off the internet. You know, I felt like a lot of it was just like, oh, you know, this is fun, but anybody could Google, you know, why certain people do certain things if they took the time. And I would tell myself, you know, well, not everybody wants to take the time to Google it. And this is why we do it. At the same time, I feel like there was room to go deeper. There was room to to really delve into the culture. And there are some things that I might never be able to find on the internet because it's not, it's not spoken about on the internet, you know? Right. Right. Um, I had to, I had to put myself on mute real quick because my cat likes to be loud when she uses the bathroom. 
because she Aww. wants the world to know for some reason. Um, <laughs> what an ass. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, that is that. That's that's really truthful. Um, um, I love that. I love that a lot because you know there's a narrative um, that. I don't, I've never been to film school, but I've read that there's a narrative that they try to train you in to push. Um, but it's always good to see people coming out of the box of that. And that's what's that's what's leading now, you know? Um, you know, like even if even if it's not Netflix, it's still genuine. And people yeah. always trying to get that Netflix deal now. Like that's like the most big deal apparently right now. And it's like, do you yeah. really need that man to validate yourself? Like <laughs> You can I start mean, your own like what you're doing. Start your own thing and just go off of that. <laughs> I mean, there, it, it's just because there are so many options, you know. As a filmmaker, I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, if you were to say you were going to film school, everybody would think you're going to be broke. And nowadays, mm. you know, it's not. You've been going to film school is not just going to work in Hollywood on a set anymore. Um, it could be, you know, you've got a lot of people making great content on YouTube. Um, you've got right. a lot of people working with YouTubers to help create their content because everybody needs an editor. Everybody needs a producer. You know, you've got so many different avenues. I feel like a lot of, and you know, of course the biggest one is to do a blockbuster. You know, everybody wants to work for like Marvel studios or Netflix and put out something really awesome. And I can see why, I mean, Marvel is Marvel and Netflix has put out some amazing stories that also I would have never been able to, get in touch with myself if I weren't on the platform. So I think there are takeaways from everything. It just depends on what kind of filmmaker you want to be and what kind of art you want to make because it's an art. I mean, to me it is, you know, Mm -hmm. when I first came in, I really, really wanted to make like action movies and I really wanted to do like all of the fictional stuff. And then I never in my wildest dreams thought that documentary work could be as fulfilling as it is, which I think it was, I think it is. And I think there are so many other different types of films that a lot of people don't see unless they're like really looking for it or unless they have a taste for it, you know? So it's, it's, you, you are right. We do go into film school being, I don't even think we're being fed a certain narrative. I feel like in a way we're feeding ourselves that narrative because you go into film school mm. with a specific impression of the films that you're going to make, which mm. if you wanted to make Marvel films, you would go in specifically thinking about only Marvel type films. If you want to do right. documentaries, you would think solely about documentaries. And the good thing about film school is that it's not just about those types of things. You learn about all types of films and you learn about the history and you learn about why we do things a certain way. And you, you learn right. to be creative and, you know, you are encouraged to push boundaries. So that's the beauty of it all. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And do you, do you find yourself, um, hmm, actually I just lost my question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> What what made you wanted to do film? Let's start with that. Like, how did you how did you fill that out? Because, like you said, a lot of people think you're going to be broke when you're a filmmaker. As yes. a, as a, as an artist, um, they're going to be like, they're looking at me like, oh yeah, he's broke too. And <laughs> as a as an actor, you're like, oh well, unless you don't get into the SAG, then you broke too. Um, yeah. has has <laughs> have your parents? Because let's just be you know, black parents like. Yeah. any immigrant family but let's just talk about black parents real quick they're like yo like my dad 
mom, I was lucky enough that they told me, oh, you want to do music? Go ahead. Because they already have music background. They're pastors and stuff like that. So they're like, oh, we can help you if if anything goes wrong or something like that. But my cousins and stuff, they're like, no, you're going to do business. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a president. Yeah. (laughs) A president. Yeah. Did you have to deal with that? When, uh, like, I guess I need two questions, basically. <laughs> definitely, but not from my parents. Thankfully, oh. <laughs> I have two amazing parents who worked very hard to put me in the place where I am, where I can actually not be, have to be a doctor or a lawyer or madam president. Um, so I think most of it came from my extended family just because, I mean, my mother, even though she came to the United States pretty much not knowing a lot about American culture. And, you know, she didn't speak the language at the time she came. She was only 11. She still, mm-hmm. you know, she still learned a lot. And if you spoke to her today, you wouldn't even tell she was Haitian American because her accent is practically gone. Uh, mm-hmm. It only comes out when she's like super upset or next to somebody else oh. who happens to be Haitian descent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So her accent takes on many different forms. Um, That's awesome. But my dad, I think my dad is, more of a realist and so he and a pessimist so he does usually he is the one to be like what if it doesn't work out you know you need to have a backup plan and stuff like that and i i came to appreciate that about him i still bounce ideas mm. off to this day because i'm like okay what could possibly go wrong and then he'll list me at least five things that could possibly go wrong and then i'm like okay right. at least we know you know but <laughs> my family especially my aunts um well, they're my great aunts, they're my mother's aunts, but um, they're practically mine as well because they helped raise me. They're they are first generation immigrants themselves. They barely speak the language and they're they only know enough about American culture to get by the way they are. You know, we're a family of mainly nurses or like nurse technicians because like you said, you don't right. work your way into the United States to be poor. You got to get right. something that's going to make you money. And so mm-hmm. they worked hard. So that way my mother could be, could have all the careers she did. And that so that way I could have my own choice of career. But at the same time, you know, I have cousins who mainly are engineers and work in higher education and stuff like that because it's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. And they still, I think one of them to this day, thinks I'm in school for mechanical engineering because it was just too hard to explain to her that I'm in film school. So <laughs> don't tell her, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's definitely, I'm thankful that at least from my parents, I didn't get that because I feel like if I did, it would have been so much harder, especially because, you know, I, I take a lot of what my parents tell me to heart. My parents are literally my textbook on life. If they didn't do it, I would 50% consider it and then maybe move on. Mm, mm. You know? it's yeah. Just like yeah. It's such a big deal. Um, I have a friend um, who's Jamaican and she was telling me straight up that it got so bad that they literally like forced her to stop speaking Patois and they tried to break the American accent in them, in her. So she doesn't ever try to like sound Jamaican like it, it, I just feel so bad, you know. Even like the way that America treats immigrants is just so sad that they have to like feel they need to do that, you know. And you know what? Even if her parents didn't do that, I feel like on some level you feel like you have to yourself because 
you know, I went to predominantly white or white Hispanic schools. And so even if there was a language spoken other than English by my peers, it was usually Spanish. Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't speak Spanish at the time. And right. so there was no real relatability and they'd talk about their culture and, you know, everybody would be so fascinated. And it was funny. Like I've, I lived through an evolution of cultural awareness where it used to be like you hid your culture and you kept it solely at home. Like, you know, you don't talk about your food, your food stays at home, your mother who right. yells at you stays at home, you know, everything, all the things that made your culture, your culture or your cultural experience the way it is stayed at home. And then when you come outside, you know, crisp American accent, Nike's right, right. only, you know, like right. nothing, nothing of the sort now is the way it is now, because now everybody wants to know, but now you're kind of forced to commoditize yourself because now mm. you have to be like, Oh, you know, this is, this is why my culture is so cool. You know, we've got the food, we've got the music. Don't right. look at the fact that <laughs> just died. Don't look at the fact that we had an earthquake, you know, think about the food, the food, mm. the music. Mm. So I feel like even if, and me just relating to her, I feel like even if, uh, like if my parents were to tell me to stop speaking Creole, like I, I, even if they didn't do that, I would still feel like there was a pressure to do it myself there would be a pressure mm -hmm. to sound more American in school by myself because, you know, it's like one of those when in Rome situations. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's so deep. That's so deep. Even just me being black American. Um, when I started going to white schools, I even tried to make sure I didn't speak anything slang, right. Uh, slang, like, or anything. Cause yeah. you know, I love, I love like talking like, 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 from the streets and shit like that, because you know that's where I'm from. <laughs> the yeah. that, that's and what that's we fine. did, you know. Oh, like like yeah. when I got to these white schools, I felt so fucking like embarrassed about myself, and then I had to learn to like love myself and all this stuff, and and it's so hard, you know. What it I mean? is like hard. they like they don't like that's what that's why I want to segue to this question about stereotypes that I saw on your um like how you're saying we're we're getting out we're we're getting out of these stereotypes we're not trying yeah. to um promote these stereotypes we're showing our our genuine selves who we are are yeah. embracing our cultures and stuff like that um because like when you go into these white schools and um this is just from my experience um i, I don't speak for anybody else um we <laughs> go into these white schools um one thing that 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 struck me is that like they always remind you that you're different <laughs> They don't yeah. try to and you know what? Like it's not even out of malice, right? Right. <laughs> like they'll just be right? like, "Oh, I love the way you do your hair. Like I could never do my hair like that." Or they're like, "Oh, your food is like so like what is it?" Like you know, right. it's, and, and this isn't to discredit like white people or or people mm -hmm. who have lived in the United States for generations, because you know these questions are perfectly innocent. It's just that it's also like an othering that you can't avoid. It's right. like, we don't want them to stop asking questions because we like the interest. We want to make sure we tell them about it. But at the same time, it's also a constant reminder of how different we are. And you're just kind of forced to be like, geez. <laughs> and then they tell you, I don't see color, but you always remind me I'm different. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> <laughs> like that's so real. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a conundrum for sure. It is one of this there are so many gray areas in this type in this type of in conversation, you know. On the one hand, right. you're like if they stop, then like what what is left to do? You know, we can't ask them to stop because at the same time I feel like we're living in a time where especially because we have a lot of uh, deconstructing of anti-black hate and and you know the mm. more awareness for the immigrant experience uh we mm. also kind of it, white people are in a sense that they're like okay so now i have to be like extra extra sensitive to people mm. who are from different places but and that's good in a sense because that means they're getting the awareness but also it i mean whether or not whether we like it or not the difference is going to show because right. we are different right i right. mean we were raised completely different. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you feel that right now, since like you're in the perfect spot for film for people of color yeah. um, in America, do you think that now is the, the, the time to branch out um, compared to the past? Yes. I don't really know that. <laughs> like, yes. what did you think skyrocket that? Was it Black Panther? Do you think Black Panther skyrocketed that? <laughs> I think Black Panther had a hand in it. Um, right. I think there are so many other films that have also helped. Um, mm -hmm. Because remember, before there was Black Panther, there was Coming to America. And, yes. you know, that also okay. had its own high, highlight of African culture, which is great. I think Black Panther went deeper, just in the sense that I feel like a lot of films we've had of Africa in the past have been a generalized Africa or a very, very poor Africa. I think it was very poignant and very mm -hmm. important that they also showed an Africa that can have money that can have technology and you know that could be its own fully functional first world developed kind of country without aid from the UK or the United States or any of those power players you know so mm -hmm. that and so Black Panther did do a lot and especially because it's a Marvel movie that pushed it you know and but at the same time I feel like there have been little little bits and pieces. But now we're definitely starting to get to a point where we're like full speed ahead. I mean, I'm still waiting for some more Haitian stories, you know? I would love a Haitian mm. Disney princess, yes. personally. But yes. uh, I definitely think that we're in a good place to start really really getting creative, you know? The person who, who directed Black Panther was not even of African descent directly. He was African-American and he still was able to tell that story in a way that, mm. was, that felt authentic, you know? Most of the cast right. was not of African descent directly. They were African-American, but they still did their research. Mm. They, still did their, they still did an accent coach. They still had the costumes and the love and respect is what, will propel the movies forward. It's not whether or not we just tell the story. It's about the love and respect we put towards it. So, right, right. So yeah, I, I think Black Panther was a big power player, but I think at the same time, we also have to remember there are so many others. I mean, they're even, even just having more people of color in films, like um, to get away from, from just African-Americans for a second. I mean, think about Crazy Rich Asians and to all the boys yeah, I've loved true. before. Right. Yeah, to all the boys I've loved before was supposed to be a white actress. They decided to go with an Asian actress instead, and it did so commercially well. So I think making those choices were are are already putting us forward. But at the same time, still want a Disney princess from Haiti. Still want, <laughs> still want it. Still waiting. Wait, wasn't for it. wasn't uh, the frog the princess frog? 
a Haitian princess? No. I'm, well, <laughs> no, she wasn't actually. They just had like to show so, some like New Orleans. Yeah, so New Orleans has Haitian roots, but I feel like right. that would be a slap to in the face to the actual Louisiana Creole culture to say that, oh, right. she's Haitian because she's from Louisiana. Right. So I think that yeah. should be able to stand on its own. Um, and don't get mm -hmm. me wrong, I did. I still love the Princess and the Frog. It's just that I feel <laughs> like now we need to start delving deeper and we can mm. go forward. I mean, we can have an African princess. We could have a Haitian princess. You know, we could have a, another a Japanese princess. You know, we could have so many different ones. To me, the Disney princesses were my favorite movies growing up because I just loved the what they stood for. You know, I loved the characters. I loved that they stood for kindness and patience. And, you know, of course, I'm a musical nerd, so I also love the music, right. but it was about, you know, it was about the qualities that they represent. And even Milan though- was a badass. Yeah, yeah exactly. Badass. <laughs> and even though I didn't, I didn't understand the construct that race is growing up, right. and especially because it wasn't something that was outright taught to me very early on. Um, I still, you know, I was still able to find a relatability and a bond to these characters, but I also think being able to see yourself like physically can also be great. And, you know, there's a sense of pride you feel when your country is represented yeah. on the screen, you know, uh, when Coco came out, I mean, that was huge because nobody really knew much about El Dia de los Muertos in the past. Right. You know, now we have Coco, now we know, maybe we don't know about the spiritual world. You know, I don't think, you know, that that part could be up to up to past. We won't know that until mm -hmm. until we bite until the dust. But at the same time, we learned about the different parts of it. You know, the the orange flower petals, the, the ofrendas, mm -hmm. the, all those things, all those nuances propelled and, you know, got people interested in Mexican culture. And that's such a huge part of Mexican culture is that holiday. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's so, it's so vital. And I, I hope we can continue to improve. That film made me cry. That film is so great. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, me and my, me and my girlfriend, were just boohooing. Like, <laughs> yeah. especially in, in the song where he sings, remember me. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Like, why are they doing this? Why are they trying to grab tears right now? <laughs> because Pixar. Pixar is so good at that. I feel like there is such a stark difference between Disney movies and Pixar now. Because Pixar, like, they're like going for your heartstrings. They are they are exposing your triggers. They are exposing right. your traumas, <laughs> and they are putting it on screen for you to see. And they right. know that you will come back for more. Right. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And now they have something else coming out. Um. Oh yeah, Encanto, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna see that. I think I'm gonna see that. I have to see when. There's no time in the holiday season. No, there really isn't. <laughs> well, I just found out that the day after Thanksgiving is another indigenous holiday for Native Americans. Oh really? Um yeah. I I just found out about that. I was what like holiday yeah. is that? Is it wait? It's not Indigenous Peoples Day, right? Because I thought that was no, when. No, um, it's just Native American History Day, and oh. apparently this month is Native American History. Oh, I knew that. I didn't know there was going to yeah. be an entire day as well, because I knew that they had the month, which was good, because you know, right? The the whole history with that, it's a little, you know, you mm -hmm. know. But um, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. didn't know that the that the holiday was this Friday. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Do do Haitian. Do Haitian people consider themselves indigenous? Um, 
I, if we think about technicalities, I would say no, just because indigenous means they were there the entire time. So for example, Native mm-hmm. Americans, they were here long before um, right. people started settling in the United States, right? So right. I think the only real indigenous people would be the ones who identify within the Taino, which is mm-hmm. for which is for the entire island. So that would be Haiti and Dominican Republic. Those yeah. that that part they would be considered indigenous. But the rest of us, we're we're just melting pots. The rest, <laughs> of us, you know, maybe if you have a little bit of blood in you. But I think really we're just like a little bit of Taino blood in you. Yeah, yeah, maybe just a little bit, but I don't think enough to go full fledged. You know, so right. I don't think that would be considered indigenous. Right. Um, are you are you familiar with are you are you familiar with like the relationship between the Dominican Re- Dominican Republic and um, Haiti? Like, do you know if that bond is any way closer to getting better? Because what I see from like the Dominican government, they just say such uh, asinine things about Haitian people. Like, they even use ape references for certain things. Like, what's going so- on with that? Like, y'all literally are on one island. <laughs> So this goes back to way when Haiti got Haiti kicked out the French and they got their independence. So it's domain. And so we were riding high on the victory train. And so right. a lot of what a lot of the bad blood between Dominicans and Haitians is the fact that in the in the olden times, you know, Domin- they tried to domesticate basically the the mulattoes, which were the Dominicans of that time, and they would make them work for them, and they would overwork them, and even to the like I would even go as far as to say it was in, in enslavement. And so mm-hmm. when they finally broke off and created their own republic, I think that's what started the the huge discourse between Haiti and the Dominican Republic was because you know it, it's just like. I'm not going to say it's just like, but it's a, a lot like how African-Americans see a lot of white Americans now. You know, you never forget generationally what a group of people did to your group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, that that stuff is taught, you know, right, you right, are right. taught to be on your guard for these specific people because you remember or your grandmother remembers or your grandmother remembers that her mother had experienced something at the hands of those types of people. So there's a fear and there's a resentment. And now I think it also has to do with the fact that, you know, Haiti is a black country where we're a the Latino first black country. country. <laughs> yes. yes. First but, independent. You know, we are we are black. Nonetheless, we can't change that about <laughs> ourselves. And we still you know, there's still a lot of parts of Haitian culture that come from its African roots. And I think a lot right. of a lot of the the hate towards them is rooted in the fact that there are still some anti-black tendencies, you know, there is still a connotation mm. with African, with, with, with poor and, and all these other negative qualities mm. that are simply not even true. And mm. um, I don't fault Dominicans for it. I meet tons of Dominicans and I'll say I'm Haitian and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, we're neighbors. And I'll just be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, they're like, I've never. Well, that shows there's some healing. There's some groundbreaking. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's fine. I mean, that's how you relate to people. I think if there's going to be any hate, of course, it would be on the governmental level because, you know, the government is the mouthpiece of a nation. You know, it's just like how right. Biden is the mouthpiece for the United States. It, I'll, right, I've right. told people for the last five years, a country is only as good as the government that represents them. So if a government has certain qualities, people are going to see <laughs> the rest of the country with those types of qualities. Uh, And with that being said, because I think that's why we have so much bad blood and I wish it weren't the case because you're right, it is one island. 
but at the same time, it's a it's an island with a lot of history. And you know, I'm not going to shield people from the fact that you know Haiti probably shouldn't have in, enslaved those people. You know, they should have. Mm. I mean, think about it. You were just enslaved yourself, and then you turn around and you do this to other people. It's like it's very hypocritical. So I'm not going to shield people from the negative view of that. But I'm also not going to go and say that we deserve the hate either, because that's not true. No hate. Right. There yeah. is so much. There's so much effort. I think this is going to go on for about another 400 years. So many efforts to just to decolonize our mind because we have literally all as a group when when the settlers came here, we just been traumatized. And now it's generational trauma trauma. And it's to the point that we're against ourselves. Like, like you said, like when when they were still slaves, but it was like the way Louvintor wrote it like they weren't slaves they were kind of like workers but they still were treated like slaves yeah so, it was, so it, it's so weird yeah it's like that's all he knew and yeah. because of that now we have a totally different type of trauma that goes on in that region because of th- what he did that's interesting very interesting I, yeah. i'm all be scholar a little bit i suck <laughs> i suck at scholars <laughs> Oh, stop. Oh, stop. I am not. <laughs> this is freaking dope. All right. So, um, <clears throat> okay. Sorry. I have a thousand things going on through my head today. I'm it's all the okay. way up. I, I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, so, what are some um, projects that we can look out for you that you have out right now um, before we go into anything that you're about to do in the future? So, right now, um, I my focus is really on. Edithagio and just putting out content. So the holiday season, I'm really excited for because um, I have, I've been doing some things with some people I know, and and they've been willing to share their stories with me. So I'm going to be in the editing room for a little bit, putting that out, and I'm very excited for that. And it's, I hope that really kicks off in the new year. Um, if and I do want to put this out, you know, if anybody out there has a story to share, you know, whether it's how a stereotype has affected you or affected how you viewed yourself, whether mm. it's how, whether it's about a specific holiday within your culture or the food or why certain why you follow certain customs or things, um, I would love to talk to you. Um, Mm -hmm. I always have a conversation first and then do a content second, because if I don't know about it, I want to hear from you first. And then we can find ways to really incorporate that into something beautiful. It doesn't have to be like a film. Um, I, I went to an art school and I was surrounded by so many different types of artists and I have learned so many different types of things. I feel like as long as you have a creative outlet, um, I really won't, I won't harass you about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll find something. We'll find something for you. Mm, 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 mm. So do you have any like big projects that are coming out in the, in the um, future or Oh, no, I'm really focused on graduating. Apart from, right. from oh, I thought you already graduated. No, I am still, <laughs> still here. I am still in this undergraduate boat. So I am. Oh, got you. Which school do you go to? I go to the University of Central Florida. Nice, nice. Okay, yeah. got you. Go Knights. So, uh, so we're I'm, down near where the where the Cuban aggression is, and and <laughs> you're in the hotbed of all that. I mean, <laughs> I want to make something clear central florida is predominantly puerto rican mm-hmm. uh, and anybody who lives in central florida will agree it's little puerto rico out here we do have mm. other other ethnicities from the hispanic community however mm. 
predominantly it's Puerto Rican. I oh, think okay. as you get further down south, you start seeing more more Cubans. Um, mm -hmm. And that's not to say that Puerto Ricans aren't down south as well. It's just like the kind of atmosphere you're in. It just depends. Right. So, you know, so, so oh, little so you're not, in Miami. you're not around that. Yeah, I'm not around that crazy. Miami okay. with little <laughs> little Puerto Ricos over here where I'm at in Central Florida, and then in North Florida you've got the South. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The South. The <laughs> There's so many cities in Florida. It's 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 it just starts to feel weird when you just remind yourself it's the South because there's so many damn cities like Tallahassee, Miami. That's it's very different cultures too. Like Miami is so different than up Orlando. here. Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually dope. That's dope. I didn't know that there was a mini Puerto Rico. Like where I grew up at in Bridgeport, it was like a mixture of a lot of Puerto Ricans and black people. So yeah. like I, I grew up around that. Yeah. Uh, especially because of Hurricane Irma, like my my parents live in Kissimmee. So that's uh, usually where I've seen the most Puerto Ricans and I've grown up alongside them is because like after Hurricane Irma and, and you know, how it, how it really affected Puerto Rico, a lot of people moved here. And so mm -hmm. that really upped the population as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, it's not even, it's not even broadly it's called little Puerto Rico. It's more, it's more like an inside joke I have with all my Puerto Rican friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> everywhere you go, everybody needs to speak Spanish. Even when I, I used to work at a great clips and, you know, I would have people come in. I would, I don't cut hair. I just want to preface with that. Um, I was, <laughs> I was the one booking the, the appointments and answering the phone and people would come in and then they would like not speak a lick of English. And I was just like, this is my life now. This mm, is, mm. this is life now, which is great. I learned Spanish, but it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely dope. All right. I have to let you go now. Cause I got, <laughs> I got, I got another person I have to interview. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on and stuff and hear your film perspectives and things. Um, um, well, actually, I would love to hear your perspective on what just happened with um, Alec Baldwin, um, the rust. Do you have any ideas on that? Because that was I had a SAG actor on that was talking about how they literally fired people that were union and they put right to work people in that wasn't as efficient with the props. So there's um, some moving parts. And I do I do think he was hitting it on the nail, your friend there, because um, with a lot of the job insecurity we have in the country right now, um, a lot of people are losing their jobs that are unionizing because think about it, SAG-AFTRA is supposed to protect people on set and not even just SAG-AFTRA, but also unions for crew members, directors, everybody above and below the line, there is a union for them and they protect them and they protect their rights to certain work privileges like pay rates. Right and breaks and things like that. So eventually, if it becomes too costly, because remember, film is not just about the story, it's about profitability. If it becomes right, too right. costly to afford certain things to certain people, they will sooner let you go than try and accommodate, which is why I think he might've said that they could have been fired and other people could have been given those jobs instead because they'll work for basically nothing. And, mm. and Oh, and that's un that's upsetting because yes, everybody needs a job, but you are entitled to work to fair pay wages and working with with breaks right. 
and, and paid time off. You know, these are things that are that should be afforded to you when you work in this country. Um, right, right. But with that entire debacle, I mean, it was just it was it was a disaster from head to toe. And not only because right. of the tragedy of the fact that somebody lost their life, but also right. the fact that even there were things that even I didn't know, like I did not know prop guns had blank bullets in them. My boyfriend oh, yeah. told me. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. I didn't my know boyfriend. that either. I didn't know. And so I always thought when they fire it, it was just like CGI or they had something else in there. But I didn't know something could actually fire and hit somebody. And then on top of that, I there were so many there. I don't know why that they have to use real prop guns in the first place, because I legit did think that it was CGI. But also the fact that, you know, if somebody there's usually a prop master or somebody handling the props. So the fact that there was a bit of negligence there and somebody lost their life as a result is the Mm -hmm. most heartbreaking thing because film sets are incredibly organized, especially if it's one with a Baldwin on it. You know, the Baldwins have been here for literally years. They are a Hollywood dynasty. So the fact that there would be a film set on which one of the Baldwins, one of the most well-known Baldwins at that, is on the set and they're not making taking the extra precautions is a huge sign of negligence one and and Mm. two it's also just incredibly tragic at first i thought it was an accident and then i was like there has got to be more to the story and i think Mm. the worst part about it is that now we're getting more details and now we're realizing no it wasn't just an accident like this something really did have to happen some things really did have to happen in order for this to take place, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. you know, I'm looking at the product. I'm not looking at the production crew for the sakes, even though they have higher inexperienced people. But I'm looking also at like the 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 whole um, the company itself, the, the yeah. film, the film company, the ones that have millions of dollars mm-hmm. and the people that own them but they feel that they want to do shortcuts all the time instead of just doing it the right way. And it's because people let them. Right. People let them. And it's, I mean, and it would be the same in any industry. Any big Fortune 500 company is going to take shortcuts because they're going to look for ways to save money. And as long as nobody is telling on them, and as long as Mm. they're finding ways to keep people in check, they can do essentially whatever they want. And so it's 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 in it's very sad, you know. There is no real there is no real accountability for any of these right. people. And it like it feels like the minute you get to big company status, there is a bit of a you need to work, you should be working harder to keep yourself, you know, accountable because you have more employees, you have more things to your name now. Right, right. Wow. Well, Thank you so much for coming on. That was that was an awesome perspective, and I hope that people see and get some education on that as well too. Because yeah. that's all we need. We need to learn more about these things. You know? Exactly. <laughs> the time five minutes of your time could teach you so many things. Right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I hope you have a very good day out there in sunny Florida. You know. Oh, thank you. Um, wear your mask, or I mean, I don't know. <laughs> If you don't or not, some people don't want to. <laughs> or we guys. We we wear masks here. I can't say <laughs> city in Central Florida, but Orlando, we we wear masks here. Word. <laughs>
Um, have a very have a very nice day and thank you so much for coming on and everybody on the podcast world thank you so much for listening yeah, uh, let's keep in touch all right happy holidays <laughs> bye effectively transforming community peace in our human family volume and unity divine light shining individually effectively transforming community in our human family As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they send the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors.